Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. That indeed we both are. Um, You're Annie Warmke. Not today. And today we're going to talk about (laughs) electrifying everything, or is this really, truly, absolutely the end of the age of fossil fuels? So we will will oppose that. I don't think either one of those sounds electrifying everything sounds terrifying well and and it's it's actually a thing you know it's actually a movement well that's, i know it's, it's been a movement since i was a kid well not don't really. you remember those disney right. things that everything's electrical and everything is controlled by yeah. electricity and it well, spies on you and it monitors your temperature i don't know that disney was doing that oh but, yeah uh, there was a whole thing and they showed you through the kitchen right. and the whole house well this is this is a different different okay. idea this is okay. more of an environmental movement where they're saying okay we're in the process so this is where the thought process goes we're in the process of cleaning up the electrical grid going transitioning from a fossil fuel electrical grid to a renewable energy electrical grid so but electricity is only currently about a third of all of the energy that's consumed uh to make this society that we so dearly love um function so there's transportation which is primarily oil based and there's um Industry, which is primarily naturally gas, natural gas based, naturally gas, naturally gassy. <laughs> yes, so um, that's why that's we it. have industrial bubbles periodically. So, among other things. Yeah. So anyway, so um, so if we can electrify the transportation industry, if we can electrify the industrial um, sector at the same time, and this is the critical part that we clean up the generation of electricity and make that non-polluting. Then we've made major strides towards um, addressing climate change through the reduction of carbon-emitting fuels. Shouldn't we make sure everybody has residential electricity first? Yeah, well, that's don't. part of it. That's part of it. And, and we're dealing with that. So, so I just wanted to kind of make sure, because oftentimes if you say electrify everything and everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, that just adds I'm thinking to the we're going to zap everybody. You touch the door handle, we're going to kick your butt to the curb. Okay, well, if that's, that's the way you want to think that's about it. That's the image it brings. Like, oh, let's electrify the mm-hmm. doorknob. All right, well, let's, let's first look at, <laughs> I'm ignoring you. So <laughs> let's, let's first look at, okay, we're, where are the sources of greenhouse gases? So... If we look at... Uh, well, if, wait, explain what greenhouse gases are. Well, primarily greenhouse gases, the, the big one that everybody is aware of is carbon carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, the carbon uh, that goes out into the atmosphere uh, that causes, um, is a direct cause to global warming. And we will not debate whether that's man-made or whether it's not. I think that if you don't think it's man-made, Stop then you're not listening, the you're not listening to this anyway. Yes, so that's um, right. Yeah, and in fact, uh, some of the studies I've shown is that the you the rate of acceleration uh, that I've been shown that oh. is is about a hundred times more dramatic than the most pessimistic estimates were. So, um, anyway, the twenty nine percent of the greenhouse gases, and it's it's carbon dioxide and also methane, which is another major one, um, is from transportation. So cars, vehicles, trains, airplanes, all of that. So that's the leading cause. Second, very quickly, very closely, is electricity. So you might say, well, you know, 
you're going to electrify everything. Well, electricity is already the number two cause of of um, greenhouse gases. Yeah, but it's because it's been fossil fuel. Yeah, it's been primarily coal. Well, yeah. we're reducing a lot of the coal. Now we've got gas, natural gas. They like to argue that that's cleaner, although yeah, that's kind of fallen into disfavor. There's problems with the extraction of that too. So right, it's and still they vent off. Drive up that percentage. They drive. They vent off a lot of methane, and methane oh is, is a tremendous greenhouse. If you've gas. ever been to one of those sites, it's like one of those films uh, that. Um, where they drill for oil and it comes and they and it spews everywhere. It's sure. Terrible. Well, they often, uh, you know, in the old oil thing, they they would just light light the natural gas, burn it off. You yeah, know, but flare they do em. that still in those fracking yeah. sites. Which is silly because that's a resource that they're just wasting. You know, if you could capture that, I mean, it's money. Yeah, but so. they don't want to be bothered. Yeah. The the third one is industry. So 23% of the greenhouse gas is from industry. We talk about like auto manufacturing, steel production, aluminum production. So all of those. And that's been primarily natural gas-based energy source. Then you get into residential and commercial homes, you know, the... Buildings. Yeah, basically structures. And then about 10% is from agriculture. I can't believe it's not more than 10%. Well, the others are pretty big. You know, 10% of the world is a lot. Okay, you know, the world. So. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, obviously the transportation is is from the fuels primarily that are burned in the cars, trucks, ships, trains. Well, planes. agriculture is not just fuel. It's also. I know. I'm I'm working down the list. I oh, have a okay. system here. All I, right. I have I'm bullet following. points. You bullet points. <laughs> I know. I know your bullet points look more like a Jackson Pollock painting, but uh, mine actually flow <laughs> in the proper order here. <laughs> All right, so all right, don't don't dis. All right, so electricity <laughs> currently is about sixty-two percent of our electricity in the U.S. comes from fossil fuels, which is actually a lot lower than I think most people would imagine. Well, it's still too high. Yeah, well, it is, and and we're moving towards their their very aggressive goals, moving us towards a hundred percent grid renewable energy don't, or non-carbon. Don't tell Ohio grid. and West Virginia legislators; they're still voting to protect it. Yeah, well, that's just part of the the normal course of things where I always like that quote from Gandhi, you know, first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they attack you, and then you win, you know, well. And then they say it was their idea. Oh, that's true. <laughs> oh, that's a whole different quote. It's like the 12 steps of a project that always ends up with the people who oh, no. fought against they, it they taking still, the credit. That's so. right. That's their idea. Yeah. So anyway, um, the electricity is still about 62% from fossil fuels. We're, we're rapidly uh, closing coal um, plants, and that's largely because they're, they're past their sell-by date, they're too polluting, and coal is too expensive. So they're just not economical well, and to not fix. efficient. It's not efficient. I mean, it's a lot less. It produces a lot less BTUs. The stuff they're extracting, so they got to extract more. Right. Well, and it's so that polluting. adds to the cost. Right. So, so basically, if you're saying, okay, I can build a natural gas power plant for a third the cost of a coal power plant. Well, then why would I build a coal power plant? So I go with the natural gas. Well, now you're coming to the point where you're saying, okay, well, natural gas though. Is, is also not as economically competitive as wind and solar. Well, it was that way for a while with wind. So essentially you say, well, if I can, let's put up a wind farm because it's the cheapest, but not everywhere has access to wind. But now we're to the point where solar is actually cheaper than both wind and natural gas and everywhere has sun. 
you know, um, everywhere uh, on the planet, essentially, and off. But uh, so, so the actual least cost energy production mode at the utility scale today is solar. You know what's wild about this, though? So the legislators are over here, and they're all scrambling around because they get paid by the fossil fuel industry, and they're saying this is just a passing fancy about Allegedly solar. Allegedly paid. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then there is the cold, hard facts about the military's switch to solar, uh, lots of bigger industries. Look at Amazon and... Um, uh, Apple, the, they all see the handwriting on the wall, but it's the small, the small time people, the legislators that are still hindering this. Well, and there's a lot of lag in information. You know, if you were to ask the average person, they would still assume in their heart of hearts that solar is expensive, that solar is difficult, the sun doesn't always shine. You think people so. think that much about it? If, if they were asked, yeah. And, and basically they're thinking... 10 years old information. So, um, but, the, but the corporate execs at Amazon understand that I can invest in solar. Not only do I get the PR value of being green, but it's going to cost me half as much as my alternative energy source. Well, no brainer, you know. And so. the equipment doesn't wear out and it's a good investment and on and on and on, all yeah. the pluses. Although I don't want to, um, you know, Gloss over the fact that there will not be problems associated with a world that is reliant 100% on renewable energy. I think I alluded to that electricity for everything. No, no. You were talking about, you know, door handles shocking you. I'm, oh, I'm... And that was after that. But when we first started, because the idea of everything being electrified, uh, to me, feels terrifying. It's like, why aren't we moving to more natural things like buildings that are naturally insulated by the earth or buildings that face the right direction to absorb sun when we need it and not when we don't need it. Right. Well, there are a lot of passive systems that are absolutely ideal. And you're right. If you can say energy conservation, um, natural um, passive systems, those are always your number one choice. One of the downsides, I think, of the fact that solar is becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper all the time is that those, those savings are less incentivized. People are less willing to conserve when the cost of energy is so cheap. And, right. and that's where that's we're moving. Right. And so people are going to run more air conditioners and their heat hotter and more appliances. And so these things all contribute to pollution. Well, they do in some way, but it will be if the energy is coming from renewable energy, it's not emitting a greenhouse gas. It's probably doing something else that we haven't identified yet because it hasn't been in such a concentrated form. Well, all those things that have to be built yeah. are part of the problem of the pollution. It isn't just using the electricity. Yeah, well, it's land use. It's eye pollution, visual. Yeah. When you Child see, labor. When you see hundreds of thousands of acres covered in solar panels or wind farms, 
it can be distracting, it can be annoying, it can be harmful to the environment. Well, and lots of farmers are going to those kind of contracts because they can't make a living, and okay. now their land's going to get taken care of. But this is supposed to be a happy story, so <laughs> so let's move on from that, right? Um, well, so, I think, j just to make a point about that, is that we are always going to have to trade things. We have to compromise, and this is part of the problem with solar is that legislators and people that control things have not been willing to compromise because they have too much invested and they're gaining too much by hanging on to old ways of doing things that have created the reason we need to have cleaner energy and more efficient energy mm -hmm. sources. But I would, I would counter that argument to say the, the economics are in this is, are in favor of this and economics from a macro scale are going to drive it regardless of the little um, obstacles that are thrown in the way right. by, by industry. It's the same reason we moved from the age of the railroad to the age of the automobile. It was, it was not that, you know, it was, it was going to become inevitable regardless of what okay, the politicians Okay, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I know that that's true, but the, here's the real rub. And that is not going to happen quickly enough because human beings are involved and their greed is involved. Yeah. Well, quickly enough, you know, in an evolutionary scale, it's going to move pretty quickly. In a lifetime scale, it will be slow. Well, the less time we have to make those choices, the, the more emergency we feel about it, that's going, and the more economic uh, profit that's involved in it, then we'll see some hurrying up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're always good at responding to a crisis. Or, or making money. Or making a crisis. Well, yeah. we don't care about that. So uh, the industrial uh, emissions usually come from the burning of fossil fuels, um, in, usually in heating processes like in, in steel or aluminum. But there's also a lot of chemical reactions that take place that release these greenhouse gases. And then, of course, in the residential world, we're talking about um, the various uh, appliances and things of the, that are used in buildings. Of course, number one, by a, by a large margin there, is heating and cooling. So your air conditioner, your heating, that takes up about 47% of all of the electricity that's used in a typical home. Yes, because we are humans and one degree of temperature difference makes us so miserable. We can't mm -hmm. stand it. Well, I'm able to adapt. I have these things called sweaters. So Yeah, or a fan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, fan uses electricity. No, so, but ceiling fans don't pull much. Okay. Well, let me take a break here and, and remind folks you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. So you're in an end of the world mood right now. So I'm going to. No, keep, I'm not. I am not in. in I'm going to keep mood. marching forward, electrifying everything. Okay. Here. <laughs> so just a quick run through on the other energy uses uh, within the home: the water heater, 14%; washer dryer, 13%; lighting, about 12%. Your refrigerator uses about four. Your oven, about four. And then all the other miscellaneous stuff, five percent or so. So uh, those are the things. So if you could address heating and cooling and your hot water heater, I mean, shoot, right there is, what, 65% uh, almost of your energy use. So that's a big deal, you know. So, so how would you address heating and cooling? How would I? How would you? You well, just sweat or, or be cold, right? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't be sweat or cold. I'm not foolish. But I would start with my building. 
I wouldn't start with what how I'm going to heat it or cool it because if we start with the building then we have the option of creating a baseline of uh, what, wherever you are in the world there's a baseline of temperature that's um, underground and where we are it's about 55 or 50 degrees somewhere in between those two so if we can create something that isn't underground but utilize the mass of the ground then we have an option of only needing to heat or cool from that 55 degrees instead of whatever the mercy of the building is placed at by the sun and then we can also create buildings and have them face in a direction so they get sun when we need warmth and they don't get the sun when we don't need the warmth okay but unfortunately a lot of people live in buildings that are already built. okay but those can be converted they can change where windows are they can change insulation they can burn buildings berm b-e-r-m not burn um, there, there are a lot of ways that uh, government and programs could go into neighborhoods and, and fix old buildings to make them a lot more efficient. It's not just about adding some kind of insulation. Well, there are also some uh, very easy ideas like uh, plant deciduous trees on the south side of your home yeah. and conifers on the north side yeah. so or, that or they shrubs. lose their leaves. Uh, well, the conifers will block the north winds. Um, whereas the deciduous lose their leaves in the winter, so you get sunlight, but they provide shade in the summer. So it's a it's a nice approach there. But I, your landscaping is a big yeah, a big and thing. knowing and knowing, you know how the wind hits that building at different times of the year. So we have a situation where we made an outdoor place that's just outside of the house, but it's in a place where there's a convection of air. So it's like we have a fan going most of the time and it and we are not using any electricity so it's really knowing how that building sits on the land and how it could do better with so we have some things we planted on the west side of the building so that when the sun is there in the summertime uh, it's less likely to heat up that wall very much well even the ancient Persians had a system where on the windward side of the building they would cut some like vents low to the ground on the windward side and then cut slits high in the room on mm -hmm. on the lee side of the building so air would pass in lower and cooler come through and then take the hot air that's at the top of the room and vent it out and use natural convection as as sort of an internal air conditioning and they were able to do this you know what three thousand years ago i mean so oh, they were smarter than us. Yeah, well, they, they weren't worried about making money. They were slaves that built those uh, things. Of course, one of the things that they're looking at today, speaking of slaves, is the installation of heat pumps. <laughs> so I don't know where slaves came in on that. I was going to say, I'm but, lost. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but what they're doing is is looking in a, in a typical home, of if heating and cooling is your main thing, uh, using a heat pump system is a good alternative because it's a... It's not a burning of fossil fuels to generate heat or cool. It's a heat exchange process where you're doing what you talk about, the passive system of using the natural coolness of the earth or the natural heat of the earth in the wintertime and transferring some of that heat into the home. And uh, heat pumps do that, and they can do that pretty efficiently. Yeah, but what if every house had a big um, across the bottom where the sun where the sun would hit it, uh, a big container that was black okay. that could absorb air, absorb heat, and then the air would be passed just in the way you talked well, about. Well, that's basically what a heat pump is, only they're doing it underground instead yeah, of in front of the no house. Yeah, but there's no electricity. 
uh, that what they were always built, but that they're not going to do that. But a heat pump is a commercially available system that is going to reduce consumption of energy by about 50%. So that's a good solution, not the best solution. These houses you go by and they have three heat pumps. That's just ridiculous. Well, you cannot control human nature. We're moving, we're moving slowly, slowly, ever slowly towards a, um, a bright star on the horizon. Okay. So, and if we're electrifying so. everything. Yes. If you say so. so the average cost of a heat pump uh, seems to be about 5600 bucks. The average cost to replace a gas furnace around $3,000. Um, but you're going to save, when I was looking at it, about $1,000 a year with a heat pump over gas. And speaking of gas, there is a movement um, in the country as part of this electrifying everything to uh, ban natural gas in all new construction of, of homes and businesses, which is interesting. Have uh, they actually done it? Oh, yeah. In California, um, Santa All Cruz. California. Yeah. Santa Cruz <laughs> was the 30th city or county in California to enact these natural gas bans. Wow. So, of course, what happened is in the state of Missouri, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Mississippi. <laughs> and stopping that. Crap. Oh, they passed laws saying you, <laughs> you can't, can't have local control. So, it's always it always cracks me up because there is a certain political culture that cries that local control is the only um, the only option. Unless the people locally decide to do something they don't like, then of course it's got to be state control. So basically it's like, I want you to decide to do what I want you to do. And if you don't do it, then let's ban it. I think that's interesting though, that they banned that because the laws in most states, the laws in most states generally give the utility developers carte blanche they they have eminent domain rights they can do whatever they want if they want to come on your property the law supports them doing whatever they want and you can't stop it yeah well and it is it's a it's a big thing in fact the natural gas industry is is fighting back obviously it's their it's their livelihood that's at stake here and when a government comes in and says no new natural gas will be installed in our region i mean that's that's a big deal so they're coming back with their cooking with gas uh, PR campaign, you know, to essentially tout the wonders of natural gas. But it's, it's going to be a losing proposition, especially if you think about if you're building a new home, how much cheaper is it to only have to deal with electricity? Now you don't have to deal with a gas infrastructure. Um, you know, if you can put in a heat pump, you don't have to deal with the, the um, furnace type ducting and all of that or the smell yeah and and furnaces within natural gas within buildings pose a health hazard um and a safety hazard yeah and they they add tr- uh, quite a lot to the cost of construction um so if you're only dealing with one utility like that saves a lot of money but that brings us to one of the downsides because if you're only dealing with one utility you put all your eggs in one basket. They got complete control. Well, and and imagine, we're already kind of in this situation, but they talk about if we electrify everything, if we electrify our vehicles, which is a huge, huge thing that we're moving towards the uh, EV, if we electrify all of our heating, air conditioning, our home, our appliances, everything, and there is a disruption to the electrical grid, you know, it, it is bad. All right. But one of the things that you say is while something's happening over here, 
something else is happening over there. And the reality is everybody is not going to be attached to that grid, and that's going to become less and less uh, the case, I think. Well, I think everybody will be attached to the grid, or most people will be attached, but they will have some sort, because it has become so vitally important, and it's already there, and we're already seeing a movement in this direction, that we can't depend on the grid, you know, as a separate entity from our own infrastructure, to always be there. But even the interruption of a few minutes can cause severe disruption. So we need to have some sort of resiliency built into our system, whether that's battery backup or, or some other way of storing energy. So what we're seeing, and this is part of the Electrify Everything movement when we say we're making the grid more green, is if you have distributed energy sources like, like um, solar and wind, and you have the advent of microgrids, and a microgrid is basically a smaller network of wire. Like community wi solar? Yeah, it could be a city, it could be a university, it could be um, a, a building, you know. Um, a micro but also a lot of utilities, a lot of utilities buy electricity from other sources. So you're not necessarily safe, even if you have community solar in your and grid is your backup. Well, if you're thinking community solar, community solar is is a is a different concept. But if I'm generating the own my let's use a university campus for example, if the university has its own power supply, its own you know um, solar array or wind turbines, and it has its own infrastructure, its own wire and cable and all of the connection there for its own distribution and it meets most of its needs as a self-contained unit, but it is connected to the grid in case it overproduces, it can send some of the power to the grid. In the case that it needs some extra power, it can draw it from the grid. But if the larger grid goes down, they still have their network that's autonomous. They can disconnect from the grid and function even when the larger grid is down. Right, and that's what I'm referring to in saying that not everybody's going to be connected to the grid. Some of these bigger places like Amazon and uh, um, the, the Apple, they're, they're, they're their own. But they're still connected. It's just they're semi-autonomous as well. Okay. So they're getting the best of both worlds. And you can do that at your home level or you can do it at your community level or at your business level. And this is where we're moving towards where we are seeing the grid transition in a way that, you know, almost no one could have imagined. Uh, it's similar to the transition in the communication system where we went from plain old telephone lines to a global network of data transfers, video transfers, voice transfers, wireless systems. Zooming. Uh, Yep, zoom all over. Yeah, imagine <laughs> imagine back in the 1980s, imagining zooming. That was like a Star Trek thing. So, uh, and we've seen some some fairly rapid progress. We've seen that in 2010, the grid was about 24% natural gas, about 45% coal, 20% nuclear, and about 3% non-hydroelectric renewables. Now, fast forward 10 years later, the grid is 40% natural gas, 19% coal. Versus 45%. That's, yeah. that's good. And still 20% nuclear. 
because once you're on the back of that tiger, you can't get off. No. But the non-hydroelectrical renewables is up to 13% and growing very, very rapidly. So it, and it is, again, the factor of simple economics. So speaking of economics, we are out of our time. We've spent that budget. I want to uh, remind everyone you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our always sustainable and Emmy award-winning producer, Adam Rich, and we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and use that thermal mass in your life. <laughs> I'm sitting on it. Till next time, <laughs> bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueroxstation.com. Yeah.